Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I am the host and producer of the show, now going out on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Player FM, Public Radio, Overcast, and possibly a few more platforms I've forgotten to mention. I am thrilled that you have joined us here today to celebrate poetry and so excited with the phenomenal poets we have lined up to entertain you for the next hour. Six poets, in fact, from Philadelphia to the Philippines, England, Scotland, the Isle of Man, and of course, me here in Ireland. So sit back, cut yourself a healthy slice of cake, pour yourself a sliver of scotch or a cup of cupping baraco with a Philly cheesesteak and enjoy the show. Before I introduce today's first guest, I'm going to open the show by reading a poem of my own that I wrote just last weekend. This poem features a lot of numbers and so I thought it was a perfect bookend to the show as the final poem that I'm going to share with you today is also about numbers. This poem is called The Things in Between the Cracks. This room is 17 floorboards wide. I know this because last year I painted over all the footprints that have twisted across its knots when I thought three months was too much to condense the memory of so much movement into such a small space. Now, 14 months later, I have broken the floorboards down into separate cities and tiptoe along their streets in different socks, trying to remember all the things I touched in the places these floorboards will never bring me back to. Over time, its white shimmer has been reduced to a more subtle shade of cream, while my own skin grows paler than it's ever been before. Here, at the far end of floorboard number 14, in blue socks on the far side of the sun. Ten years ago in Amsterdam, on the Leinbansgracht, I lived on a boat tied to a canal. Its width in floorboards was 25, although the bed was in the bow and its smallest point was only two boards wide. I lived there for over a year, on a boat, on the water, beside the street or pedestrians passed, and never once, during those twelve months and three days, did I ever put any thought into the fact that I never got anywhere. Here, in this room, the Dutch streets run along floorboard number three, and sometimes, when I reach a certain point in that board, I stop and remove my socks, hoping that I might, for a moment, feel the run of the water over stilled toe and remember what it was like when we danced, careless in the sun. It is now time for the first of our guests on today's show and as I already mentioned I am thrilled to say that we have six guests for the delight of your ears today. My first guest is a British northern poet and the author of the chapbooks This Is Not A Spectacle, The Trees Whispered, Digging Holes To Another Continent and Potential published by Ghost City Press. She is the author of the Socially Conscious Fly on the Wall Press, a small press for chapbooks and ontologies, which is home to some of our previous guests, including Anne Walsh Donnelly's new collection, Odd as Fuck, Dinner in the Fields from Attractive Fahi, Alcoholic Betty from Ellie Horan, and of course, most recently, the wonderful Grenade Genie from Thomas McCall. 
Lately, this guest has published her own collection of short stories called The Town Talks. And in 2020, her chapbook Growing Pains was published by Indigo Dreams, which I have been deliciously devouring this week. It is a joy to welcome to Eat the Storms my first guest for today, the wonderful Isabel Kenyon. Hello, my name's Isabel Kenyon. I am a Northern poet based in Manchester. And the poems I'm going to read um, are lucky enough to be in Sarasvati magazine later in the year. And some of them have not yet been published, which is exciting because I can read them for you. And I run Fly on the Wall Press, uh, which obviously is based in Manchester. And we're a socially conscious press of chat books, poetry anthologies and short stories with a political edge. First poem I've got for you is about physical change and our inability to stop it. It's called The Chain. My eggs were pre-designed two generations ago. Old knowledge. Some things remain. Three times I have shed, radicalised, every single cell in my body. And I am terrified at the force by which my body is taken, by this chemical reaction of change by the moon pricking blood, relentless. 28-day rent collector. Change or be changed. I must find beauty in the insufferable motion of my form, the insignificance of that cog. And the next poem I've got for you is about love and the way in which you see your body and yourself in, uh, internally, emotionally differently because you're in love and because someone else sees the positive parts about you. So this poem is called Wonder. She gives him hair on his chest, downy like the otter, playful and familiar. He gives her her lips, from the pit of a plum, all spring and juice, she finds herself delicious. She has found answers. Why his spine is sculpted, just so. Why his hands are warm bowls of milk. The next piece was inspired by a poem by Maura Dooley and I think hers might have been inspired from someone else's so it's kind of like a poetry chain um, and it's called what to carry on your back guilt at what hasn't yet been said hope that you can say it tomorrow the smile of your best friend on her birthday with enchiladas comfort pants paracetamol a foldable bag Inside a bag, made from nine million plastic bags, fished from the sea using plastic pincers. Books, as many as you can carry, heavy with answers. A key or two, a jade cross. Impatience, unsatiated curiosity. Your wasted wildness. A full sack of bones, the ache. And the next poem I'm going to read is part of my Indigo Dreams poetry pamphlet called Growing Pains. And part of growing up um, is realising that you are eternally bound to capitalism. Uh, so I always call this my cheeky capitalism poem. And it's called, Sometimes I Feel So Alive With You, I Can't Breathe. Can you hear the pennies? It will define us. Tell me, are you anxious? My ergonomically adjusted chair brings me productivity. It allows for weakness. You broke your back for the spreadsheet. There are other ways, I say. Numbers bleeding from your ears. There is an end goal. If you found it, would you know? We're sitting heavy. Meters of intestinal tract unravelling. Pound is a weary art. It will define us. 
searching for words, pot of gold numbers. Tell me, are you anxious? So thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed these poems. Thank you to Damien for having me on the Eat the Storms podcast. um, And I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. My next guest on the show today only returned to writing poetry in 2017 after a 25-year hiatus. Before that, he earned an MA in creative writing from Temple University and was the editor of Painted Bride Quarterly in the late 80s and 90s. Now he is currently poetry editor at the Sensational Baron magazine, one of the first journals to publish a poem of mine way back in its third issue. His work has since appeared in Doors Ajar, Cold Creek Review, Baron Magazine, Twist in Time Literary Magazine, Rust and Moth Kissing Dynamite, Rig Welter, Black Coffee Review, and many, many more. Last week, his chapbook and drought will follow was published by Frosted Fire Press, and I've just ordered my copy, and you can do the same if you go to www.androughtwillfollow.com. More details, of course, on Eat the Storms, the blog post accompanying this episode. So for now, without further ado, joining us today from his home where he lives with his wife and youngest child in Philadelphia in the United States, please enjoy the exquisite company of Lee Potts. Hello everyone. Thank you, Damien, for this opportunity. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your invitation to be part of this podcast. I usually don't talk much before and between poems during a reading, but I would like to say that all but one of the following are from my debut chapbook, just published by Frosted Fire Press. The book's called And Drought Will Follow. I'll be starting with the opening poem from the book. Crows crave and gather. Father abandoned his patch of ground barren as a kiln's brick floor. Might as well plant rows of rust chips in coal dust, he said. He followed stars that said water north and finally settled like silt where the river widens and slows. He planted an apple tree by our home and willows along the water. Graveyards always occupy land that no farmers desire. The departed are sown in the shadows of tombstones that tilt and dissolve as the rains erase words their dead never saw. Storms hide the stars all summer, and lightning reaches down, bores into the ground, and fuses soil, leaving behind brittle stone roots glazed as smooth as porcelain, and just as slow to grow. As it rains, crows crave and gather rage back to their branches. They each watch with one eye as I tend to a garden my father will never see. Earthly Concerns The ghosts I always imagine are too distracted to get to haunting. Absently snagging on splinters, in and out of a hundred closets and narrow halls, counting each paint flake, noting each ceiling stain, resigned to finding the portraits of those they loved hanging crooked or fallen from the wall. And at dusk, crowded around every window, wrapped as the mansion shadow stretched across the broad lawn and took the tool shed, its door only on one hinge, letting in any thieving wind that wandered by. The clank of abandoned shovel and scythe hung from leather cords on ancient nails, the only music my ghosts still hear. They listen as it calls rust from heavy August air. 
Near Disaster. The first day after our near disaster, coaxing leftover smoke out open autumn windows, you missed a bit tucked in that knot near your heart where blood meets breath. The source of all you know about what isn't ash or ember yet, and all you know of seeds that only crack open for the rain after wildfire passes. The title for this next piece came from an entry in Joseph Cornell's Dream Journal from December of 1961. It's called, It May Not Have Been the Rain at All. I've mistaken the specks and threads floating in my old eyes for crows against storm clouds. Rain interrogates the shape of everything it falls on and finds the sword hidden in every monument's history. But once it ends, there's always a catastrophic forgetting. The rain becomes rivers, the sky's always clear. We'll see constellations cross the ancient stage for our tiny applause tonight. They always hit their marks. I'm a man. I'm allowed to forget about my own body. To even forget that it's bound to dissolve like some soft, gritty pill under God's own tongue. Standing Water 1. Like a practice baptism that sent our souls nowhere, we lean back into the blue-walled town pool, hands open to hot summer sky. We learn to still ourselves, to allow our bodies' hollow chambers to lift us again above the weight of water. And our breath, unsealed, returned our voices to us. 2. The pool remembers briefly everything that touched it, written in nothing more than its motion. Each ripple, each trough. 3. Now the pool rests beneath a field, filled in like any grave and largely forgotten. There's nothing here for the moon to pull at anymore. But night rain recalls, pausing with the water once gathered here, and whispers a complaint to weeds and rocks on its way into deep, slow aquifers and eons in the dark. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to my poems. I hope you enjoyed them. More information about my chapbook can be found at androughtwillfollow.com. My next guest on today's show is the award-winning queer Manx poet born in Douglas on the Isle of Man, brought up in Lancashire before moving on to London and then to Brighton. He worked for Xerox till 2002 when he left to found the award-winning charity Excellent Development, but has focused solely on writing since 2012 and we are all the better for that. His debut chapbook, Throat Bone, was published by Uncollected Press in 2020, and later that year, Queerfella was the winner of the illustrious Rialto Open Pamphlet Competition, a collection which he describes as a journey from shame to unshamed. He is a poet who seeks to discover truth, using words that move and inspire change through the lens of living as a queer Manx man thriving with HIV. I am honoured to welcome to Eat the Storms the insatiable stylings of Simon Madrill. Damien, thank you so much for inviting me to Eat the Storms. The place on the southeast coast of the Isle of Man called Poolvash, which in Manx Gaelic means Bay of Death. The first time I saw you, not knowing you even exist, 
I sat open mouth, crystal clear thought, silk pooled bay, thongweed floating, soundless soaking seals, a rock teeth tease, licked by waves, grasses brushing my calves. I had felt this before in another cove behind my ear. And yet, on the priestly shore, no heron sits, although shrimps clearly worship my feet. Each kiss swells in the shallows of my breath. If this is Pulvash, could I die just a little each dusk? On the opposite coast is um, <clears throat> a place called Lagnikili, um, which is, again, Manx Gaelic for Hollow of the Chapel. The ecstasy of solitude, three ways reached, one wild and romance-steeped path, downtrodden by horses to fresh graves. Safe from persecution and judgment, waves lap, licking ears with gusts. The earth murmurs an infinite melody, dead mermaids hear. Seeing a spirit at once remote and intimate, edging closer to the plateau over the crest. Fern fronds brush nipples erect, fiddlehead semi-woody trunk. Another gasp of flagellate sperm, kidney-shaped seed resting on itself. An ancient grave, truth-worshipped chapel reached in the ecstasy of a hermit's hollow lot. This is Gravel Wrath. On this island, blood courses moor, wood and sea, glens sparkle and shade through hanging leaves, cow parsley and wild garlic wafts, noses of toadstools, leaves rotten underfoot, waterfalls burst into silver, steps down a primrose path in earthly ease, pleasing buttresses of a mine wheel, slapping a statue's face. Sea-seeking nostrils flare for the shore, pebbles now trample, bare, delicious, hopping around pools, still expectant gobies darting, searching shells, craving to be visible, but hiding under coral weed. Tripping across that ominous track, a gravel raft, the born-again liar, slunked in a hedonist trap. Collapsed foundations of addiction, fantasy anchors, dragging along bitter rocks, an ocean's view, wave-crashed granite, a leaking cagoule, salt-striped cheeks, weeping crystal meh. This is the title poem for my um, pamphlet, Queer Fella, from the Rialto. On the family farm in Malou, they feared to speak its common name, a bank sailor, ratus, ratus superstition, that made haste onto shrouded land where, as a kid, he earned a penny a tail hanging like that boy on a prairie fence. Life and death and 4,000 miles that separates us feels too deep in roots, our open faces hidden by blood and blood, striped by tears, burning burnt cheeks. 
Long tails joeys their throwaway names. The queer fella spits itself out. No wonder we escape bodies that sink or encage ourselves in sewered shame. This poem is There was a hole in the soul of my trainer. Mum walked out on Dad that January. I thought it was our fault. I wore my trainers all the time. I was nine and school didn't care. Summer holidays were so full of cricket. Our ball fell apart at the seams. I flattened its four parts out, using one for the sole of my shoe. I don't know when I got a hole in both feet but it was wet and winter. When I told Dad, he just looked ahead. We drove to the shop to buy new shoes. He never asked me why I hadn't told him. I visited Mum in her bedsit. One wall was full of shoe boxes. I counted them. There were 52. This poem is Life imitates porn The best bits are cut out like life Often they turn out fake and the dicks don't work When I first saw you at work I didn't think you were straight like many porn stars are I thought you were a closet queen And you were Unlike the ones I fell for, everything tight, white and pink, those ones who don't suck, don't kiss, just love themselves, hair dusted your chest, I yearned to reach out and stroke, your smile meant nothing, but when you turned in camera, that gulf-like throat sucked everything down. In life, the best bits are cut out and often the cum face is fake and the dicks are on drugs. There might be just enough time for me um, to fucking go. Door open on his hands and knees, ready and waiting for me to undress my cock. He said it would be like this, maybe 20 minutes. He wouldn't throw me out before an hour. Turning now, he wants to kiss me, suck me, touch me. How easily he slipped into this. And then, three hours later, I left. Knowing we couldn't play cards against humanity in pairs. However much I wanted. Thank you so much. Just before I welcome our next two guests who will appear together, I am going to read one poem about relationships because that is what our next two poets are going to celebrate. This poem of mine is called The Furniture Makers, and perhaps it's not a poem about the best relationship, but it does seem to be one of my most popular poems on my WordPress blog. The Furniture Makers. We build things. Built things. Like shower rails and kitchen lights. Keto dishes that died in the oven, theories on converting Korea into forever and not just a three-week diversion from dysphoria. Kisses. We built kisses out of thin air and laughter. Laughter we built as if it was all we needed to feed our day. I was the funny one and you laughed at times like you never laughed before. Sometimes we built bridges to cross divides we didn't always understand. Sometimes we built boats but forgot the oars 
Sometimes we built temporary positions around sofas and shallow shows to balance the shit we didn't have the correct tools to deal with. Once, we built a language to lock ourselves into while on the outside where it could be cold and cutting and callous. Sometimes we built walls for the other to climb over. Sometimes we like to test the other, to tease, to taunt, to attract, to test the recoil of an elastic. We build things, built things, like shower rails and silly meals and signs and languages and kisses to compete. And sometimes we built walls. Though in the end, one was too high to get back over. It is now time for a first Underneath the Storms, a poetry coupling, literally. My next two guests are in a relationship with each other and today will share poems with us together on the show. One is a queer, working class Scottish writer who lives in Edinburgh and dabbles in the surreal. With poetry published in Perhappened, Allegory Ridge, Helleborn, Grain Magazine and many more. And is represented by Headwater Literary Management. The other is a writer and psychiatrist recently moved from New York City to Edinburgh to do a master's in creative writing. She is black, queer and from an emigrant background and explores those identities in her writing. She has been published in The Rumpus, Counter Clock and The Selkie and many more anthologies and journals. Today it gives me great pleasure to welcome the gorgeous, poetic and romantic teaming of Linz McLeod and Zabib Abraham. Hi, so I'm Zabib Abraham. And I'm Linz McLeod. And we're going to be reading some poetry for you. We are a couple based in Edinburgh, Scotland, and we're writers. Yes, it's an interesting thing that we're both writers. Um, we actually met in New York, uh, where Zabib was living, um, after I was at a writing conference there. Um, and we decided to go for a date on my last night in the city. and. I think we can say it was rather love at first sight. Yeah, and we've been together ever since, and I eventually moved from New York and came to Edinburgh. I've loved living here, and we've done a lot of writing while we've been living together. Mostly because we've been in lockdown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very little else to do. Nothing else to do, yeah. so we try to be as productive as possible. Um, so... Linz has been writing poetry for longer than me, but um, I've been practicing a bit and produced these poems. Uh, so we're going to start with some love poetry. Mm -hmm. Linz, why don't you talk about the poems you're going to read? Okay, thank you. So the first poem I'm going to read is called Salt and Smoke, um, and it is um, a love poem for Zabib based on the first few weeks of us being together. I came back to um, Edinburgh after my conference and we continued to speak um, online and and kind of video chat together and eventually decided to be in a long-distance relationship so these are the memories of um, the times that we had together so there's salt and smoke to begin with and then the second poem is waterlog which is um, I've decided to incorporate a little more of my own Scottish dialect in that Salt and smoke. We kissed in the dim light of roses. Maybe you could taste advice on my lips. Lava salt between us, smoke scattered across sun-blushed plates. You are a landmass to learn by correspondence course. What are your inhabitants? Who is your major city? When are your rivers carving you into an hourglass? The geology of these epochs displays baked dust layers from pestled expectations, a sprig facade to finish. Buttercreamed bones who sang a melody never stood by.
by any other. Beautiful, thank you. And uh, this is Waterlog, just a little different. She swoons against my mother tongue, a wee bit patter, rough as oats and kissing at the knees. Come bend the scullery, I'll put the kettle on. She follows along, speaks Tigrinya to my neck, sign language brushed against my dipping spine, and Sun Valley to my jutting bones. Say Bonnie, aye, and she couldn't be any sweeter, a right store. She pours the recipe of us, spiced leaves left to steep, on drake days and pure water, ritualised forest respiration, the sound of cawing in the pines, twa corbies greeting for the snow. Without your breath, I do not live. I raise myself to you, slange, slange. I, my love, I'll always bow to your good health. Oh, those are so lovely. Thank you, darling. You, my sweet. <laughs> I love the use of Scots and the imagery, uh, like the mention of Tigrinia as well, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is the language in uh, Eritrea, where my family's from. So I'm going to be reading two poems, and uh, these are also uh, love poems. The first one is entitled The Space Between. Your hair balloons around your head in sleep, the static electricity of your love. My long period of prohibition continues, but she's a special circumstance. Spiced rum in the back room or in the attic up high. Let's listen to music through the floor, dance like we do this all the time. You've never been to this country. I've never been to this street. Is God a feeling, a sorcerer, or the space between you and me, between the hills of your distance, the attempt? The rhythm of your dream stories may be a heart map, guiding me the right way. Not unlike the journey of Odysseus, what was it that kept him from home? Prohibitions, inhibitions, recollections and incantations, or the gods? Others find companionship, this camaraderie, while I wonder what surly twists will trumpet me to your borders. Oh, I love that poem. Yeah, thank you. And uh, the second poem, uh, Conate, underwent a lot of revisions, and um, I was just really obsessed with imagery with uh, the sea. Conate. Our seaside soft brine lapping, rushing our curves, our keys and bows. Sun froths those tides, warms our foam. Tides pour dark oil on our bathing skin. Underneath the glittering waves lay thousand-year-old luminescence. We swim into the water, ancient cold, deep down cavities, bubbling over with Cambrian life forms. And there, those tender-hearted whales, their eyes like rooms which reflect the world, they house us, sleeping. You go on blue for a thousand miles, your mouth the water lapping over my limbs. I absolutely love the, the imagery of this whale with just cavernous huge rooms in their eyes. It's just, yeah. it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. eerie and just so very beautiful. I love whales. <laughs> um, so I believe next we're going to be mm -hmm. reading poems related to self and family. Yes, I thought I would start off with um, my family poem. So this, uh, is, this has been published by Perhappened and it's called a photograph saved on my phone two phones ago, and it's about my mother. Picture it. The cemetery looks bleached. Detergent edges between the living and the dead. Cotton fresh duvets spread over beautified bones. My mother kneels her back to me. Blonde hair spilling over the collar of a padded scarlet jacket. Colour shocking against the snow. Maternal blood. She looks like a fairy tale. The kind where innocence never returns from the forest, where gingerbread trails lead nowhere, where a smell of burning wolf hair stalks around every corner, where a hug is never quite an embrace. Flurrying skies that day, holding back the tenderest kiss of flakes, flowers sleeping bright on burnt toast soil. I study the engraving over and over as the wind picks up. A minor tornado of ice and fluff pushes us together when we'd both rather be apart. I erupted from her body with a yawn rather than a scream. Sometimes I wonder if the universe made a mistake, if instead she should have oozed from me. I'm taller, stronger, I've eaten my nightmares and sweated my hopes out in bursts, while she seems as young as she did when we first matched height. 
We struggle back to the car, snow blind. She sits, head bowed, with both hands on the wheel, five and seven. The engine waits patiently, as I do, and I remember I could smell nothing, nothing at all. Wow, that's such a powerful poem, and so many images stand out, the red, the coat in the snow, and burnt toast soil. Mm really really uh precise lovely image my mother believes uh, that no toast is ever burnt enough to not eat it so <laughs> it's definitely a feature of my childhood to have excessively burnt toast <laughs> um thank you for that and i will read a family recipe uh this is a poem i guess evoking the idea of a recipe but then the complexity of fam family and immigrant families Sprinkle in one half teaspoon of bitter herbs, counterclockwise. Prepare one eighth ounce of nostalgia, roast for ten minutes in oil, then toss in. Wait for the wafts of dust, tree nuts, aged hot peppers. You remember the kitchen in winter. Whip in one heaping tablespoon of overheard conversation, as fast as you can. Add two to three drops of, of a consolidated vision of yourself at eleven years old, drop by drop, the essence of memory from a genie in a bottle or a lamp. Heat the oven to 450 degrees Fahrenheit. You want it hot, hot enough to broil out every hidden motive. Seeing your dad cry, someone died in a faraway land. Gather around the stove. Parents of Asians melt in oven heat. And you were all gathered around the stove. Your loved ones blather on. How could we forget Uncle Johan? Add salt. One half teaspoon, says your mother. As much as you want, says your father, your family is alone in a saltless portion of America, a family unit that has folded in on itself, every year curling tighter, every other descendant cast out as a traitor, a stranger. Pour slow into the warm steel pan. Watch for splatters, girl. Roast us even. Spread your father's sorrow. His long-gone mother, without a chance, without a goodbye from her dear son. Pour carefully. Avoid bubbles in your mix. Cool. It will be hot to touch, for an excruciatingly stomach-rumbling long time. Store for a day. The spices are brought out in the wait. In this time, you do not speak to your mother. A sour odor remains, but no matter, this is expected. I love that. It's so emotive, and it's so full of longing and regret, but also like the comfort of family and, and the strength of those ties. Um, so I am going to finish off with something a little different. Um, this is um, called Today I Learned, and it is all about the things that I have learned from accidentally stumbling onto a Wikipedia page at some point in my life. Today I Learned. Today I learned that Alexander the Great died of drinking too much after a conquest. His enemy's mother, Sysigambus, upon hearing of his death, starved herself until she perished. The fridge is never empty here. Pitted fruits piled high under cupboards groaning with the weight of jars. I can never speak love enough, only spell out in green stems. When every dish bears company, a mouthful is a banquet. Today I learned Caligula never waged war on Poseidon, never ordered his army to stab the sea with their swords, never permitted them to collect shells to bring home as spoils of war. When asked when I would, what I would save in case of fire, I don't know how to answer. Are my loved ones safe from red-tongued danger? If so, a book my great-grandmother signed with a trembling X, a decade after she forgot how to write. Today I learned that both the Greek and Latin words for spoon come from cochlea, a spiral-shaped snail shell. A slug is more than just a homeless snail, I wrote. There can be so much more to life than safety nets and comfort zones. That being said, it's wise to have a base of operations, a place to nestle nose to tail. Today I learned that Boris Yeltsin was so drunk at a state dinner, he drummed on the Kyrgyzstan president's bald head using spoons. I read that tinnitus could be cured, or at least briefly paused, by drumming fingers on the back of one's own skull. A hair of the dog who whines, high-pitched and constant, can soothe the shrillest beast. 
Today I learned that Uluk Tartish is a po popular Central Asian game where two teams of horse riders compete for possession of a headless goat carcass. This begs so many questions. Why not the goat's head, a spherical object more suited to sports, and instead a body flung, soaring? When the meat is tenderised by the stampede, do they consume this flesh or hang it high as a trophy? Today I learned that in Norse mythology, Thor's chariot is pulled by two named goats. He consumes their meat each night but leaves the bones whole so that the goats can resurrect. My vertebrae do not get along. Each works but shuns his neighbour. The joint wives do their best to smooth things over, but passions rise by degrees. I swallow painkillers daily, so that every six months a doctor can inform me that it's all in my head. Wow, wonderful. That poem is full of so much knowledge and history, and also um, it somehow all connects to you as well. Well, knowledge is power. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for that. It's so brilliantly constructed. Um, just really fun too and powerful. So uh, my poem, this one is uh, called Today I Ate Venus and it was based off of a, a random writing prompt and then became this poem and it just includes uh, um, basically images that I am interested in from space. <laughs> Today I ate Venus and after I let out a big belch as I lay down to sleep. Too much at once. Miles of fiery extraterrestrial terrain. Eyes burning. Twirled licks of involuted hot atmosphere form a crown above my head. A blue giant in my core. God brood syllables sighed out like flying saucers. I cannot sleep well as mechanics steam. Eaten. A whole vat of extra godly fire. These words might be vile. Hot smoke churned celestial creation. Signals in the smoke, factories never ending emissions. Sounds heard in the upset of sleep from man-made crafts hurtling through space. An interior vastness consuming planets. Next, I ate Mars. I really enjoyed that. And I wonder if you remember that um, for, I think it was your birthday or maybe a Valentine's Day, I bought you a set of planetary chocolates as well. I remember. Yeah, which um, I think, and I actually wrote a similar sort of poem about, I didn't eat them, obviously, you ate them all. <laughs> you were in a different country at the time. Um, yes. But uh, I remember you showing me, taking a bite of each and showing me the inside. Um, and it was around the time that the um, one of the uh, space projects was showing pictures of the Venusian sky which was yellow and we had a lot of conversations at that time about space and, and about the skies looking different colours on different planets which I thought was really interesting. Yeah and those uh, there were truffles I believe they were mm -hmm. so delicious and when inside it really did look like a planet's core. It yeah. was amazing. I would love to order those again. I would like to try them. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much, sweetheart, for doing this with me. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening to our poems. Thank you, Damien. Bye. My final guest on today's show has journeyed the furthest to get to us and I am so honoured he has made the virtual journey. My very first guest on Eat the Storms from the Philippines is the author of the poetry collections Metro Manila Mammal, You and Outsource. He has twice been nominated for Best of the Net and has been published since back in 1998 in the Philippines Free Press. And since then, his poetry has gone global and has appeared in over 200 publications, and you are about to hear why. He was in the first batch of students in 2018 for the Certificate in Literature and Creative Writing in the Filipino program at the Polytechnic University of the Philippines, is a member of the Rats Ass Review online poetry workshop, and not only teaches wrestling, but is an award-winning wrestler himself. But today, let's stick to the wrestling of words on the page and the extraordinary talent of Carlos Sevilla. Hello, poet host Damien Donnelly, and to all the wonderful fans and supporters of Eat the Storms. 
This is Carlos Sevilla, and thank you, Damien, for inviting me to read some of my poems here in your International Poetry Podcast. It's really an honor to guest here, a continent away from my country, the Philippines. I'll be reading four poems, and as English is my second language, I hope I pronounce the words right, especially as I have difficulty pronouncing the letter R. The first poem is The Disciples Ask. It's from my first full-length poetry collection, Metro Manila Mammal, which was published by Soma Publishing in 2018. When my book was published, it was the only poem that wasn't previously published in any literary magazine or platform, but it was republished in Ariel Chart Literary Journal a year later. I believe it offers a peculiar perspective on the New Testament's Let Him Cast the First Stone narrative, when Jesus defended an adulteress against people who threatened to stone her to death as punishment for her alleged sin. In the poem, the persona that represents Jesus references his own genealogy as context for why he speaks in defense of the woman. The disciples ask, Why save her from being stoned to death? Has she not sinned before the eyes of God and man? Is it not then right that as payment her very life, that justice be done, that it not be delayed nor denied? He replies, In my veins, in my very life, runs the blood of a poet king and his slain soldier's wife whom he made queen. Again, the first stone, if ever thrown, must be flung from the hand that belongs to one who is without sin. The second poem, Cough Syrup, is from my first published poetry collection, a small micro-chap of six short love poems titled You. It was published by Origami Poems Project in 2017. As it's a short poem, so is my introduction to it. Here it is. Cough Syrup. Now, you take only a few spoons of me. A day or two when the itch in your throat is more persistent than usual. Otherwise, I remain bottled up, untouched, stored in a cool, dry place. The third poem, Stink, is the most recently published in Dissident Voice Newsletters, Poetry on Sunday section. In my cover letter to the editor, sent last March 28, I wrote, This is my statement on the challenges and need to stay cautious during this pandemic. And, being an Asian myself, my protest against the rising incidence of violence inflicted on Asians there in the U.S. So that's what I wrote to the editor. And what I like about this pandemic-themed poem and its publication is, coincidentally, it was published almost exactly a year after my first pandemic-themed poem was published at the start of the lockdown in Philippines Graphic. And I also have another pandemic-themed poem published August of last year in the website of UK's Poetry and COVID Project. So I guess I have the first year of the Philippine lockdown covered and to end. Stink. For a week, our bedroom on the fourth floor of this condominium reeked of sewer odor. 
It invaded from the empty lot outside, abandoned, except for the debris. It was the hot season, so we didn't close the windows. Otherwise, we would be compelled to turn on the ozone-depleting air conditioner. We tried eco-friendly air freshener, but the stench overwhelmed the fragrance every time. Aside from the foul smell, did we also inhale toxic fumes? Did it reduce years of our lives? Anyway, that was a year ago, and my wife and I are still alive. We have recovered from the virus, and our faces have been spared from crashing into the pavement or being struck by a fist or slashed by a box cutter. It's now the first anniversary of the lockdown, and we know that the forces outside are always more lethal, and sometimes they seep in. My last poem, The Secret Vignette, I'll read most especially for our listeners in Ireland, as this was published on November 2017, the second issue of Belfast-based Bombinate Zine. I found the Zine's website in August of that year and read its call for submission for its second issue, Theme Vine. I wrote a poem right away, a spooky one about a miscarriage. Toby Buckley, the Zine's editor, was surprised to have a contributor all the way from the Philippines. Then he told me that his father lives here, so it's really a small world. The secret vignette. He drove into the vineyard one night in March, sealed glass jar briefly entombed in glove compartment, the soil fertile and newly tilled neath barren sky. He returns all souls' day before dawn. Flashlight beam scours the ground for stone etched with a cross. Grapes ripe for picking dangle on the trellis, each swollen as was her womb. He searches half an hour, curses every minute. Then he leaves, candle unlit, prayer unspoken. And there we have it. It's been a pleasure reading my poems over Eat the Storm's podcast. Thanks again, Damien. Goodbye, everyone, and mabuhay kayong lahat. Well, this has been a week of unusual outings. Ireland opened back up this week after lockdown for COVID and I met some cousins who I haven't seen since I lived in Paris and they were on the way to life in Portugal. And we drove off on Tuesday down to Betty's town and had a lovely afternoon there. And then on Thursday, I had another outing, which was totally unexpected and ended up in the hospital, making sure that I wasn't having heart attacks or anything more serious, if there can be anything more serious than a heart attack. Thankfully, I was given the all clear, absolutely healthy and perfect for a 45 year old, although that does leave us with those panic attacks. These are two poems now that I'm going to share with you. One that I wrote last year while I was doing the garden here in the cottage that my family have been in since 1904. And another poem, the most recent poem that I wrote on Thursday while sitting in the hospital waiting room waiting for my ECG results in a hospital that I haven't been in since I was 18 when I was there with glandular fever long before I had been kissed. Sometimes it's dangerous to consider how to breathe. There are clear patches in the sacred soil at the far end of the side garden where life is expected to return. We planted it last week. There are clear patches in the soft sky behind clever clouds that carry the condensation I covet 
for those bold patches in the tilled soil where there will be grass. We planted it last week. There are sometimes clear patches in these caged ribs that house the lungs that shoot me with shock waves at intervals irregular when I fall too concerned with how to breathe. I panicked last week. Or when I'm too forgetful to distract myself with painting the panic into poetry at the far end of the side garden with its selected soil all curious for the cunning clouds to carry forth condensation across sweet sky. I planted this last week. There's a peace when I potter beyond the panic. I know this. I planted it last week in my head when I sowed the seeds that will soon be grass. I planted them both deep inside. And the second poem is called The Sum Of. Everything is about numbers. Numbers to hold, numbers to call. Numbers to count you back to when you last came, to where you came from, to the miles you've moved since then. The things you lost, the weight you gained, waiting. Everything is about numbers. Race, pace, the breath you chase, the peace once possible, the place you never knew you were meant to be in, in relation to where you ended up in its place. Everything is about numbers. Two metres apart, four doors to the left of where you thought you were going, three corridors in morning grey, daisies on the floor, first floor, cubicle number five, patient number 196629. I was 18 the last time I was here. I was four days in the first ward where two men died on my first night. They moved me to another ward later, when they figured out I wasn't going to be number three. I stayed five more days. I'd been courting glandular fever, the kissing disease, the doctor said with a giggle, and the nurse smiled all twenty years of her wanting. It had been two months since I told someone I liked boys instead of breasts. Six months after laying in bed with the kissing fever, I was kissed for the first time on the 8th of August. I was 23 days away from 19. Sometimes you catch the disease first. Sometimes it's all in your head, although the comfort of kisses can't be calculated on charts, like the outcome of an ECG that happened at 13 46 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we have reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. I have been your host, Damien B. Donnelly, and thank you so much for joining us here today. The stars of today's show have been Isabel Kenyon, Lee Potts, Simon Madrill, Lindsay McLeod, Zahib Abraham, and Carlos Sevillier. For details of all of my guests on today's show and how to follow them and where to find their poetry collections, please head over to www.eatthestorms.com. Check out the podcast section, which has listings of all our episodes. This was episode 12, season two. 
If you want to join the show to read some poetry, then please drop me an email at eatthestormsandyahoo.com. We have just a couple of episodes left of season two, but hopefully we will be back again later in the year for season three. As I said at the beginning of the show, we are currently on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Public Radio, Overcast, Pocketcast. So please tune in where you can. Support, celebrate, subscribe, share with your friends. Send us any comments or considerations that you have because it is a pleasure to hear from you and a joy to share the show with you. Okay, that's all from me today, your host Damien B. Donnelly. Other than saying thank you so much for joining us, thank you for taking the journey, thank you to the guests, thank you to the listeners. Stay safe, stay well, find the sunshine where you can and hold that light tight. And in the meantime, of course, as always, stay bloody poetic.